0: This is our second uh, podcast now. Uh, I'm here with Gail. Say hello, Gail.
1: Hello, Gail.
0: I'm no, not like that. You've got to say hello, Gail, properly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant start. There we are. So, <laughs> I'm hello, here with Gail. Thank you. There we go. So, uh, working with Gail today. Last time we talked with Ian Mack about the first two chapters of Drops Like Stars. We're moving on to chapters three and four. They're like the shortest chapters of any book I've ever read, which is good. I enjoy that. So today we're talking about The Art of ache and The Art of Solidarity. They're the two chapters we're talking about. I, I quite like this book because it's short and it's to the point And it's got a good way of speaking about quite profound things uh, and deep things without using lots of complicated language. So I like that. So I don't know how you found Mm. this book so far, Gail.
1: No, I love this book. Um, I read it a few years back and it stuck with me actually as a way of processing some of the, the feelings and sort of drama of life, really.
0: Yeah, and he's got some good stories that allow us to kind of enter into things through the medium of stories and just to think about concepts in a visual way. I quite like that. So I find that a bit more helpful as we try and find meaning in suffering. So in The Art of ache, which is Chapter 3, I love Chapter 3, because it's literally a page with a picture. I quite like that. And he says in it, so much of our time we are surrounded by buzz and gloss and hype, and we slide down the surface of things. And he talks about the, the picture on page 58. Now, because this is kind of radio, right? The picture on page 58 is of New York and it's all the neon signs that are up advertising the different shows on Broadway, basically. So he says, how does all that hype make you feel when you're standing in the middle of it? So I, I don't know about you, Gail, how do you feel when you're surrounded by hype and glossy signs and things?
1: Well, I think the, the, the thing about this picture as well is the perspective it takes because it's taken from way back. And you're made to feel really insignificant and small against the, the backdrop of all this glossy, glitzy stuff. Mm. And um I think it's if I think it's the way I feel sometimes when I look at Facebook and you see all the lovely holiday snaps that people have of their perfect families sitting there all looking amazing, um, all you know, with, with their hair all looking great, and um, and, and I think why aren't my family holidays like that? My family holiday snaps don't look like that. They're not all glossy and and uh, glitzy and just beautiful. They're all a bit kind of real, if you like. And so I guess when I look at things like that, it makes me feel a little bit inadequate, if you like. Um, and I think it was I was watching the other day um, a programme, I don't know whether you know it, a sitcom called Not Going Out, um, and it's there's an episode where they go on a family holiday, and we follow the journey from their home to the ferry port, basically. It's a two-hour journey, and everything goes wrong. You know, the child's sick, they go the wrong way, they go under a bridge and all the bikes get chopped off the, the top of the, the, uh, the car, everything goes wrong. And I think that's the reason why it connects with the audience because it's like most family life, it's quite unshiny, not like the versions we see in films. And I think it's what we understand to be part of a real family and what it means to be connected in a family is not just all that niceness and the shininess, but all that messy stuff as well.
0: What makes me laugh sometimes is when I see someone's profile picture on Facebook or whatever, because they've done the Instagram filter on it. I don't actually recognise them in the rest of the field. The, you know, I don't, I don't. When I meet them in real life, I don't know who they are because they look totally different. It's a bit like brides. You know, sometimes you meet the bride before a wedding and you chat to her and all that, and then when she turns up on the day, you haven't got a clue who she is because she looks completely different. You know, it is that person because they're booked to come. You hope you're marrying the right woman, but, uh, you know, they look completely different. And I think now we have the technology to do these sorts of things, to bombard ourselves with images of perfection and images of how we think things should be. We're, we're doing that more and more. And I think it does make you feel inadequate. I think it's, it's designed to do that, because if you feel inadequate, they can then offer us a false solution which is whatever product they're selling so it's a kind of we don't actually in our society have many physical needs anymore because most people are better fed than they ever were most people have more material wealth than we've had in the you know in the past in in britain i say most because there are a lot that don't So what do you sell people when they've got everything they need? You need to kind of create a need that isn't actually there in the first place. And I think that's the constant surrounded by um, images of what we should be and our family should be. I was going to say, I don't know if you noticed, pastorally. I always took it as a pastoral red flag when you saw somebody new from toddler group or whatever, where they, they they put up these wonderful pictures of their their life or whatever you always knew they were in a really bad place <laughs> so I always used to make a mental note to kind of give them a ring or go around and see them because it wasn't mm. what it was usually the opposite of what they were showing. But we only see that because we're priests.
1: Yeah and I think I think that's there is something in that isn't there because we're not used to um, the art of the ache. We're not used to that. We, we're not, we're told that, you know, when we, when somebody asks us, are you okay? You say, yeah, fine, thanks. Well, not too bad. When actually what you mean is, do you know what? Everything's falling apart for me right now. But I can't share that with you because of this inadequacy, this this thing about having to share that pain, that ache. But I mm. think that's why I like this book so much because this is where we connect with each other is in this ache and in this pain, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And, and that goes back to what Rob Bell was talking about in chapter two, where he's talking about the art of honesty. And I think we do live in a world full of lies in a sense and we're, we're conditioned to kind of be, become part of that. And to, and I think that's the, the, the central problem is that lies hurt us and hurt the people around us. And, it isn't just about sort of lying to get out of trouble and things like that. It's actually about living outside of reality and changing reality to to make ourselves look good or to pretend things aren't happening when they are, Play play a role with it. And I think that what I have noticed is if you are honest about who you are and honest about what's going on with things, is people latch onto that straight away and they 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 think it's wonderful.
1: So I think that's going on to the next chapter, the art of solidarity. I think that's where it's true that when we share an experience like suffering, that we get bonded together because we can't all want the same hair products or the same glossy holiday or all of those things, but actually we all suffer in different ways, but that, that suffering can bond us together. And one of the stories he tells in the book is about um, a situation where a crowd of people are asked to stand um, if they've been to Hawaii um, or if they drive a particular car and people who would stand and do that. It doesn't really bond the crowd, but actually, if you ask the same crowd to stand up if they've been affected in any way by cancer, then this kind of binds people together because they've shared the same um, suffering experience. Shared the same pain, and that's where we can stand in solidarity with each other.
0: Yeah, I I really like that, actually, because I think that's really at the centre of the Christian faith, is that to live in a world of perfection and comfort, in the end, becomes a very fake world. And that's the world that we're being offered all the time, is this, this fake world of isolation, of comfort and of control, those three things. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're offered that all the time, but it, you can't form a connection with with people or with anything or with God or with anything else if it's just this constant barrage of comfort and perfection. How we actually connect with people is through those times of either little bits of suffering or even extreme suffering. That's what relationships are actually based on and i think we've we've forgotten that now because we've kind of tried to make our god one of safety where we create a environment where everything's lovely all the time everything's safe everything's fine and everybody's really happy but it seems to do the opposite. And I think that 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 thing about solidarity with each other is that's at the heart of being human. Because I often think this, if God made a world where everybody was safe all the time and everything was sort of comfortable, you wouldn't actually be able to get married. You wouldn't actually be able to have kids. You wouldn't be able to have fun in some ways or make your own decisions or be free you couldn't have those things Mm. so the only way that he could redeem us is to be in solidarity with our suffering so that's with Jesus he is in solidarity with us
1: yeah and I think we talked a bit about this at Christmas, if I remember, about how Jesus came to us in the messiness of everything. Everybody was expecting this Jesus, who was shiny Jesus, who was going to come and save the world by being the great warrior and this great king, and instead he turned the tables on everyone he you know he was not he was a great king, but not in the way they expected, and he 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 walked the same paths with us he he suffered with us. He cried at the the grave of his friend Lazarus and so in that way he was with us. So he understands our pain because he's lived it.
0: Yeah, and Um, it's not he understands it physically not intellectually because he's he's done it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We can all tell people about pain and what it means to lose someone close to us but until it actually happens to you it's really hard to understand that that ache from inside isn't it Mm. Um, and Jesus understands that because he's been through it.
0: We're doing this uh, Easter trail in a couple of weeks around St Mary's churchyard and I was writing the, the reflection from Judas's point of view and I think that there's a bit of Judas in all of us and and one thing we don't talk about really, at least, is Judas and why he did what he did. And part of the reason I think Judas betrayed Jesus is he was really angry with him because Jesus wasn't the God he wanted him to be. Because Judas wanted Jesus to be the person who brings comfort uh, and safety and all those other things. But Jesus didn't do that. So he wanted Jesus to to get the Romans to make the uh, people of Israel safe from all that persecution. He wanted Jesus to do stuff to magic things to happen, and we all want that. We all want God to to magic the bad things away. Be good if He magic COVID away. That would that would be a good start. Magic my kids back to school. That would be good, but we we do want that, and with that comes that sort of rage at God, and I think that's where. Judas feels, which is, I think, why he, one of the reasons why he betrayed him, even in that, is Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed, to be let down, to be utterly alone,
1: humiliated.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: To be humiliated, and shamed.
0: To be at the bottom of everything, and I, I think that's the, that's the booty of it really, is. To stand in solidarity with those who suffer. And, and that's what God is calling us to be as Christians to make Jesus visible is to be with those who suffer. And that doesn't mean sort of solving problems for people a lot of the time. I think it just means sort of just being there with them and understanding them. I agree. Part of us wants to like it's good to solve people's, you know, solve problems and sort things out, I suppose, but that's not actually what God is doing in Jesus, He's being with us in solidarity with us, which actually is in the long run the nature of what it is to be human. I often think about when I've done last rites, but I've done a fair bit of that, is when you when you're with someone. Doing last rites if the family are there. But I always think it's better if the family are there. And, you know, someone is almost at, at, right at the end of their life. And it's a horrible time with lots and lots of pain, lots and lots of suffering. But the solidarity that we show with each other by being there together and that God shows with them as well, in a strange way, which is kind of beyond words, can transfigure that suffering into something quite beautiful and I think Mm. that's what we're aiming for in a sense is that transforming of something horrible into something beautiful but it still hurts and I think that's what he's getting at with this act of solidarity is we can't have human connection if we're always comfortable absolutely
1: you know know, if you, you yeah you've just hit the nail on the head I think yeah
0: Can you think of a situation, you're saying about the art of solidarity, can you think of a situation in your own life about showing solidarity with someone that suffers, that transforms it? I've talked about, like, last rites and things, but that's a sort of priesty thing. Can you think of a a non-priesty thing that you've done?
1: I think there's always that thing about being a mum, actually, um, and um, going through childbirth and um, the pain of um, of having children sometimes, the pain of a parent that every time you get through one issue, there seems to be another something that presents itself. And as a, as a parent, you're always feeling that pain of wanting to do things for your children and make things right for them. And as a parent, other parents understand that. Um, and sometimes you can just say, Do you know what? I don't know exactly what you're going through there, but I feel your pain because, you know, children do give you that ache inside, don't they?
0: Yeah. What did my dad say? He said, If you try and work it out on a piece of paper when you should have kids, you'll never have them. And I think what he's saying mm-hmm. with that is it's always a risk and it never sort of works out the way you think it would or you want it to. And it's a life of constant giving really we should be um that's our goal as parents is to constantly give all the time and and hope that uh hope that they reciprocate hope that they give back but that's that's a hope you know and (laughs) well I'll say that I was a kid once I was
1: yeah
0: I was a teenager once you know and that's the way it works isn't it and post that as well I, I I quite like teenagers I don't think they're that bad I think they get a bad press in a world that's all about pleasure and a world that's all about comfort and safety do you think you could be a parent if we banned if, if I had a magic wand right and I got rid of all pain right yeah and I got rid of all sort of betrayal or anything else like that, all sort of negativity? Could you be a parent? That's the question.
1: Well, I don't think you can because I think it's the, it's the, it's the pain that connects you, isn't it? It's the, um, the, the, the things that you go through together that makes you stronger. So you might go through something which is really, really painful as a family But if you work through it together, at the end of it, very often you come out with a new understanding and a new relationship. And that's what all relationships are like, aren't they? Human relationships and relationships with God. Because there are times when actually I'm really cross with God because he's done something or something's gone really wrong. And I think, you know, why God? Why me? Why me? And I think that's one of the the questions we answer later in the book. You know, why me? Why now? And then, you know, what Rob Bell says is, why, why not, really? Um, but actually, when you come through that situation and you work through it together, through prayer or through talk with your family, that's when that relationship becomes stronger, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to exist, is not it? You've got to have that. You've got to be honest with God. I think a lot of people struggle with that. The monks were always very good at that. They said, go and have a shout at God. And tell him and be honest about him, uh, because he is really annoying. I find God really annoying, I, 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 because he's always right, which is he doesn't always he... do things in my time. No, <laughs> that's right. Is I want to be in charge. He
1: his own time, not mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's really annoying because he's got to sort himself out and do what I want him to do. And I think that's mm. the that's the Judas thing, isn't it? God needs to mm. sort himself out and do what I want him to do, not what he wants to mm. do. Because I know best. And I think, you know, that That the other thing is as well, and Rob Bell does go into this a bit in the art of solidarity, which I think is at the centre of the whole concept of the book, I think for me, is this idea that if God doesn't become human and doesn't show solidarity with us and suffer with us, then he can't really love us. And we can't really be connected to him. Because he's, he's, he's not, it's through that suffering that enables us to have that relationship with him. And sometimes we're quite uncomfortable, uh, particularly in the Protestant church, thinking about a God that suffers. Because we're quite comfortable with the remote God that's a long way away and very powerful and almost sort of magical, really. But that's not what Christianity says. God is the, the person who suffers with us. And really, when you think about it, God can't love us unless he suffers with us, because that's the way Mm -hmm. where those human connections are made. It's the only way to do it. Logic, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so. But to choose to do that in such an extreme way that Jesus did, I think that once you get that, it shows us. The commitment God has got to us as people that he's willing to do that, to choose to do that. Because he didn't have to bother. He didn't have to bother to give birth to a universe in that sort of sense. Mm -hmm. And having two kids is hard enough uh, and they never say it's fair. (laughs) So poor old God's got billions, hasn't he? So no wonder we all complain. (laughs) So that's what I think sometimes (laughs) with that. The other thing that I thought about with this art of solidarity as well, and with COVID, I just thought it's difficult sometimes for us because we live as Christians with a different story to the world around us. The world around us is all about safety and all about pleasure and all about me and what I want and living my life for me. I think it's quite hard for us as Christians to hold on to the Christian story, which is the opposite of that because those sorts of messages do affect us, don't they? They affect mm. me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I was reading something that somebody had posted on Facebook yesterday, and it was I was mulling it over in my mind for ages because they'd put something along the lines of, um, I've, I've realized that the only person that I need to please is me. From now on, it's me first. I'm not going to think about what anybody else thinks or what anybody else wants. And I kind of stood back and I thought, whoa, you know, that's obviously coming from a pe- a, plain, a place of pain for them. But for me, I thought, actually, we live in community. Well, you know, we cannot exist on our own. We, you know, even if we do live on our own, we still need to go to the shops. We still need to to the bank, to the doctors. We still have to work. We still have to be in community with people. And if everybody only thinks about themselves first, then that's just a complete breakdown of community, and and therefore we can't ex- coexist as humans because we need community in order to 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 exist as humans. And I did wonder at that point: is that because I come from a Christian point of view, where um, where you know, we put others first or we try to empathize, sympathize, walk with people who are going through difficult times and understand their point of view, or is that just because of where I am? But I think that's what we're taught, that's what we're told um, in the Bible. It's one of the basic human needs, isn't it, community? um yeah. And so I think you're right. I think we do need to um, not think about the me, 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 but to think about the how every everything we do affects, every, you know, ripples out and affects everybody else or other people around us.
0: That's right. And I think that's the... But I I still think the hard thing is, is that even though we are Christians, we live in a world which has which starts from the opposite perspective a lot of the time. And I think it is hard to kind of hold on to that different starting place. Mm. So I think it's because we start with God, and and God in in his nature, is community, because he's a Trinity, we start with that. Well, I think in, certainly in my world, when I was growing up, it's all about my truth, what I want to do, where I want to be, and I think that that's a that's a essence really of that is isolation. That's the thing is that you you create the mm. universe with on your own and that's that's really sad. and I think that's what he was getting at Rob Bell in his second chapter when he was talking about fakeness and how people become more the more comfortable you are, the more isolated you become. And mm. I think that's ties in with that as well. So it's been, there's a lot to think about with this uh, Drops Like Stars. It's only a short book, but you end mm-hmm. up coming up with all sorts of uh, interesting things from it. And mm-hmm. it's a good way to, 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 it's a book that we can live out as well. So in a couple of weeks time, I'll be talking with uh, Ian Wallace about it, about the last two chapters. And as well, I'm sure you can catch up if you've missed a couple of sessions, because we have the Lent group on a Wednesday you can go to as we discuss this as well. And as well, we're running a sermon series on it now, each Sunday. So there's plenty of ways to get into conversation about Drops Like Stars. And as well, let us know. Put in the comments underneath or put in comments on Facebook. Now we've called it, we've called it. Put, on, put in comments on Facebook about how you feel about it Now we have slagged off Facebook. Uh, and uh, Not
1: let Facebook us know. itself just the glossy
0: (laughs) it's the cheese isn't it the the cheesy facebook it's cheesy facebook but but let us know how you feel about it (laughs) that's it yeah that's it so let us know how you uh how you found it and uh i'll see you in a couple of weeks